He doesn't need us to do what he wants. Our, the privilege comes for participating in his ministry. All right, so we're here. <laughs> we're here uh, with Keith Huntington. And you're going to introduce yourself in a little bit, but I got I to gotta say why we're even here in the first place. Um, for a lot of people in our church, they don't know this. They might not know this, even though we talk about it. But they might not know the role that you've played in our church, that it's because of you that we're um, just as a supporter, as a friend, um, we're able to launch our church and plant. And um, so uh, Keith, who's served at Harbor Town um, since I've been there, since before I've been there, and we're going to hear his story. One of the coolest things is uh, his support of the church and his belief in what God's doing at our church. And we couldn't have gotten off the ground without his support. And we met with him and we sat in this house and he prayed for us. And without questions asked, I told you our need and you said you got it. <laughs> and I didn't believe you. <laughs> I was like, I don't believe that's a big number that you're supporting us with. And I, I was like, I don't know. And you texted me and said, count me in. <laughs> and that was huge for our church. Now, not only our church, but this podcast that we're doing, uh, that we've been doing, is because of you as well. Because I was here with you the last time, and I was so encouraged by our conversations visiting you, that I literally sat in my car and thought, I, I was sad. I was actually sad and tearing up because people don't get to have the conversation with you that I have, and I'm always encouraged by. Um, people don't, they may not, might not be able to take the time to sit down with you. They might not even know the things that God's taking you through. And I thought, man, I'm so sad that no one will be able to get the pleasure that I've had of sitting down with you on a regular basis. And that's when it hit me. Buy some mics, get, get the lights. And um, I left here immediately, went to Best Buy, picked up these mics. <laughs> and that's why we started this whole podcast, to hear stories like yours um, that are impacting the kingdom beyond yourself. And because... If it wasn't for us getting this mic and putting this on camera, you would rather just fly into the kingdom without anybody knowing what you've done. <laughs> and we just won't have that. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself, Keith. Uh, a little bit about myself. I'm towards the end of my life right now in a lot of ways, you know. Uh, so it has been a life which is centered around ministry to the Lord, uh, whether it's with Young Life, which for 16 years I was a part of Young Life, which brought me here to the islands. And then I started teaching at Kaiser High School, and then I was at Kaiser High School for 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> they call you Mr. Huntington? Uh, yes, Mr. <laughs> Huntington, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I still have some students who... Our former students, I excuse me, uh, at Harvard right now, mm. um, include, including uh, Maris and including Miley and some others. Miley uh, Higashi was one of your students? Yeah. 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 And in her words, she was a rascal. I didn't know that. Yeah. She was, she was one of my students. Wow. And so um, I, just, I just treasure the time. Uh, and watching them grow because that's been my life mm. in a sense. Um, since I 
uh, left off and quit graduate school. I just started with Young Life and then went into teaching. And so my whole life has been given to uh, trying to bring the kingdom into teenage lives. <laughs> and so I've loved every minute of it. It's been an incredible journey and fun. So, yeah, it took me to the Philippines, too, and it, uh, as well as, as Hawaii, and so it's been a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Man. So when uh, you have this long legacy of <laughs> people that have come to believe in Jesus that you've seen, and I've seen at Harbor, I didn't know that Miley was one of your students. That's amazing. Um, but... You're also making an impact in Waipawa because we're, we're trying our best right now to reach students and carry on that legacy. Um, but before we get there, what is your own faith journey like? When did you get saved? When, when were you, when did you come to believe in Jesus? Well, my parents um, really tried to introduce me to Jesus, but they didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> and so uh, I was uh, very close to my mom. Uh, and she had an incredible love for the Lord. And so when I saw that in them, and they gave me opportunities to see, to see Jesus, especially when they introduced me to Young Life in high school. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was there that I, I really began to see Jesus for who he really was. Mm -hmm. And so... It's probably at that point where my life was given over. And because when I got to college, um, Jesus was there, but my life and my vocation were my choice. Mm. <laughs> but in graduate school, uh, Jesus, I think, finally confronted me with where I was going. And at that particular point in graduate school, I finally just said, Jesus, I'm done trying to make all my own decisions. I want you to make the decisions for the rest of my life. And so on my knees, I can remember it one night, I just said, Lord, whatever you want to do with me, I'm available to you. Mm -hmm. And so that led me into young life. I spent 16 years as an area director for Young Life. And then when that was done, I it was just a smooth transition to get into teaching. And so I loved every minute of it. So when did you get to Hawaii? Uh, it's been 40 years ago now. Oh. <laughs> and, and did you, when you started with Young Life, did you quickly... Did you start in Hawaii, or were you doing that in the mainland? No, I was doing it on the mainland, but then, um, but then, uh, Kurt Kekuna, who I'd gone to college with, he's a legend, by the way. Kahu Kurt Kekuna, everybody knows him on the island. <laughs> he's the man. Kahu was the one who kind of brought me here because we had been friends since college, and so uh, I wanted to jump in and come alongside and partner in ministry with him, and so. That was when I was with Young Life, and so that basically brought me to the islands. That was over 40 years ago. Wow. So one of the things I'm, I'm wondering is you said that it was in grad school that God kind of got a hold of your heart and led you in a different direction. You were on your knees. But that's interesting because usually people would say, God grabbed a hold of my heart, and I wasn't doing uh, 
explicitly sinful things because it wouldn't be sinful for you to pursue another career path. No. It wouldn't have been sinful for you to to go into the medical field like you were planning. Um, so what was it? Why? What was it that that led you or kind of away from that path? It seems like you gave up something that would have been okay and would have been good. Um, I don't know how to answer that except to say that um, in graduate school, I could tell that the pathway I was on was not what God wanted me to do. <laughs> and he was making that abundantly clear. Um, I was going through some extremely hard times, um, it, not not just financially, but mentally. Well, I was struggling with what I was trying to do. Um, and so uh, when I when I made the decision to just say, Lord, whatever you want, there was an incredible peace that came over my life. All the anxiety, everything else just went away. That there was a sense in which, for the first time in my life at the age of whatever it was, 22, 23, for the first time in my life, I felt an incredible peace with the plot, the pathway that God had chosen for me. And as I was heading across, back across the country to meet with who was going to be my advisor with Young Life, I just felt an incredible peace. And that got me through starting out with Young Life was not easy. Um, because I had no clue what I was doing to start off with. And so I was in training right then. But there was never, that peace never left since I was doing what God wanted me to do. Um, and I, I think that's especially true. I, I can talk money because in the first few years with Young Life, I had to raise my own salary. There wasn't much money coming in. And there were times when you were wondering if you can have enough money to pay the rent. Um, and, but amidst all of the financial issues, the relational issues, and getting started in a whole new ministry and starting a whole new ministry, I knew. I was exactly where God wanted me to be. So there was that peace never left, mm. that there was a sense of confidence that I was where God wanted me to be, no matter how, how hard times got, no matter if we were going to struggle to put food on the table or pay the rent, that God was in charge. Mm. And so I was where God wanted me to be, and I I was, there was a complete peace, and I knew that whatever happened, God would bring me out the other side. Mm. Wow. That's amazing. I need some of that energy in my life, some of that well, belief. Well, my personal feeling is everybody needs to go through that. Mm -hmm. You need to get to the point where you feel confident that you are where God wants you. If you can feel confident that you are where God wants you, there's a peace that nothing can take away. 
nothing can take away. And to me, there's that that piece was everything because you know I had I had heard people talking about success and this and that. Whatever you're a young person, you're thinking about success and all that stuff. I never worried about that stuff because I knew if you're in where God wants you to be, you'll be successful. I know the first few years with Young Life, the the high school ministry was very small. And how do you get through that when you don't see success in what you're trying to do and you wind up having to develop this trust goes way beyond the circumstances. <laughs> and so regardless of how tough it is, regardless of the circumstances, if you're where God wants you to be, you will succeed. Mm. Yeah, because that's the win, right? Yeah. The win is being where God wants you to be. Yeah, and that's the piece, too, that if you're worried about success, you're worried about this and all that stuff, if you're where God wants you to be, you don't need to worry about that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that, that came, like, that that attitude and that belief uh came in handy even later on in life. Oh yeah. It's it helps you to develop a lifestyle. And I will tell you that the things that I learned those first few years, those difficult lessons that I learned those first few years in ministry, I've carried with me my whole life. I still remember them and I still remember the people who came alongside and and encouraged me at that time when I needed it. Yeah. So it seems like uh, that's good advice just for anybody right now who's struggling or young. Because, you know, especially in today's economy, young families. I mean, dealing with young families at our church. Yeah. And it's a struggle just financially. Living in Hawaii, it's expensive. Sure. And at the same time, um, being content in the middle of that, you know, <laughs> being content yeah. and being... And living on mission, which I've seen just from from people in our church, or just the faithfulness well, to just continue yeah. following God in the hardship and to just stay. Yeah. To just stay and be here and serve. And, yeah. Well, like I say, practically speaking, there were times when I didn't know if I was going to be able to pay the rent. But God is faithful. Now you're helping pay our rent. Uh, just kidding. Not the rent. Yeah. <laughs> what I mean but, is you're helping... Board our ministry which when is my incredible when my bank account got empty, I would get a check in the mail. Tell us about that that I hadn't counted on. <laughs> I, I just yeah, you know, I'd be so surprised there'd be a check in the mail, and all of a sudden I could pay my rent. <laughs> and so there are times when that happened, and sometimes it was like a week before the rent was due. Mm. <laughs> so it showed me God's faithfulness in the midst of a lot of the difficult times. Mm. And so those are the things that I, I think are the most valuable lessons, um, that if you are where God wants you to be, God is faithful. You don't have to worry about all these little things that we often worry about because God will take care of them, and he will surprise you in the ways sometimes that he takes care of them. Mm. And to me, 
those are those were great lessons um, because even later in life, you know, when when you encounter obstacles along the way, because we all encounter obstacles, that if you are where God wants you to be, you can trust He'll take care of you, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and He does. Yeah. He is faithful. Yeah. What What was the adjustment like for you coming from doing ministry in the mainland and? moving to Hawaii to do ministry. Did it, did it feel like a big change? Did the kids feel different, the culture, all those things, or was it similar? Well, um, when you're working with high school kids, culture is everything. Mm. And so um, you don't just jump in. Uh, there's a learning curve. And so um, you're spending your time at the high school and it's different. It's different from the mainland. But you learn to listen rather than talk. And you learn to apply the lessons that you're learning as you listen and to hear what people are really saying. I mean, when you're working with teenagers, they want somebody who's going to listen to them and hear not only what they're saying, but hear what they're not saying. And so, yeah, it takes a while. And I would say, for me, even though my best friend was local, uh, Maui boy, I was I was learning from him. But these are lessons that um, take a while. And so. I would say it probably took me a year or so to feel comfortable again in in the high school culture. Um, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but again, those are not always easy lessons because they hit at your ego, they hit at other things and stuff like that because you have to learn to listen very carefully and to hear what kids are saying and what they're not saying. And that is very subtle. Mm. And um, not be quick to speak. Yeah. Man, that's good. That's good. Um, a lot of times people, what I've noticed just in ministry, and I, I think that one of the hard things about Hawaii is people think it's just paradise. And I'm like, man, it is. for It is in, in many ways. But it's like any place on earth, it needs the gospel. Yeah. And so um, I I love when people come for the sake of making Jesus known. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes people come and they parachute in and they just drop in without understanding the nuances of the culture and, um, and the work that God's already doing. Yeah. And they expect to just get this thing off the ground and, and it, it never, it doesn't work. It never comes across. Yeah. As loving or caring or compassionate or, you know, and it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen it work, you know? Yeah. We got two ears and one mouth. Mm. And so I think the ears are what helps us to learn to love. If we can hear what people are saying, what they're not saying, we can fall in love with them. And once you built that love relationship. There was a trust there that begins to build, and that's the important thing, but it takes a while to do that. And so you have to be patient, but at the same time, listen very carefully. Yeah. 
So what was it like serving in, you went from student ministry, you come from California, you're doing Young Life, you're partnering in ministry. Um, what was it like going into the teaching field after that? Well, it was easy. <laughs> Transferring and to, to teaching was, e was easy because I already loved the kids. Um, I'd already been involved with the kids. I knew what they were saying, what they needed to hear, and the opportunities that, as a teacher, God would, uh, God would provide. And so uh, as a teacher, um, what I did was, uh, yeah, you have to teach your subject, so there's a lot of classroom time. But in the classroom... Once again, listening is an important part of teaching. And so you learn to listen to kids where they're struggling, what their family life is like, because their family life often affects their ability to learn. And so you began to see and hear about their own family lives. For me, that was an easy transition because I was already interested very much in that. Um, so that was interesting. And so what I did was that I, I began to open up my room after school so kids could knew that my room was open, that they could come anytime they wanted to sit and talk or say nothing. Um, but they could just be there, and they knew that they had a teacher who cared about them. And so it was important to me to communicate that to them regardless of the subject I was teaching them chemistry, which is, you know, kind of one of those dull subjects that most people are challenged by. But for me, um, it was easy just to communicate that even when you're teaching a hard subject like that, that you care about them. You care about their learning. You care about their lives. You ask them questions about their family. You get involved in their lives and, um, in a sense, began to develop their trust. And I found in high school, kids want somebody like that as an adult friend that they can learn to trust, that they can say things to that they can't say to their parents. And so I heard a lot of that. And it's just, it's an incredible opportunity. I loved it. And... When you love the students and are willing to listen to them and not quick to give advice, but willing to listen to them, and then when they ask you for advice, there are plenty of opportunities to share share what you what you want them to hear. My students knew from the first week of class that I was a Christian. Really? Yeah. And I would make that known to them without pushing it upon them. Let them know that I was a Christian, that I was there for whatever they needed. Whenever they wanted to talk, the room was open. Wow. I was just going to ask you that. I was like, how did that work? Because you were in a, you were in a kind of ministry and you moved to, uh, a job at a public school. 
And I was going to ask you, was there a challenge with letting your faith be known? Apparently not. <laughs> Apparently not. Well, yeah, I would, I would communicate to them without pushing it upon them. Right, right. So um, that, in a sense, I was following any legal problems that might occur because, uh, because of being a Christian in a secular mm-hmm. profession. And and you're doing it in a way that just um, that that is honoring even to the people that that you're working. Yeah, for. it's non it's non pressuring. Yeah, yeah. You're just letting students know where you're coming from, mm-hmm. and that they can they can come to you anytime yeah. they want. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And uh, what do you think? All this all this time, what I'm interested in hearing is what was your relationship to the local church? In all of this, were you involved in a church? Yeah. Were you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. I was involved in locally in the church. Mm-hmm. So, because all I knew when when I first met you, you were running our sound. You were doing. You were still teaching. Yeah. And you were. You had. Uh, you had just come back from Philippines, actually. Yeah. I think when I met you. That was two thousand eight. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. I was a few years after that. Um, but you were still teaching, and you were running sound. <laughs> on a regular basis at a setup. We were doing setup teardown. Yeah. Yeah. In the heat. It was crazy. Never want to go back to that life again. But you were doing, you were really involved in our church. Were you that involved with the church that we planted out of? That Harbor planted out of? Or? Yes. Um, I was I was playing uh playing guitar in a praise band. What? Yeah. You played guitar? Yeah. I I have five guitars. That's the guitars right there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have five of them. Wow. And so, yeah, I was playing. I was playing in a praise band. So, um, you know, I was very much involved in worship. I've known you for ten years. You've never said that. <laughs> well, it's not a big deal. <laughs> I thought, no, it's not. It's nothing to take offense at. I just thought you were the sound guy. No. Oh, okay. I, so I was you, doing. So you played music. But I was doing sound because of my interest in the music. And so playing in a praise band made it easy to transition to sound because I knew what I liked to hear and I knew what I wanted to hear. And so moving to sound was easy. What was the most fun part about doing sound? The fun part about doing the sound is you were involved in every aspect of worship. Mm. And people were hearing what you let them hear. <laughs> and, and if they didn't hear anything... It's because you didn't let them hear it. That's right. That's right. But <laughs> it's, it's, it's a big weight. But the worst, the worst position to be in, I remember sitting next to you at Leo Leo school when we were having church and something would mess up, whether the slides or the sound, and everybody would just stare at us. <laughs> and I'm like, none of you guys signed up to serve. Stop staring at me. You're making me feel uncomfortable right now. <laughs> well, yeah, if something goes wrong, it's all on you. But the same, by the same token, um, Excellence and worship moves me. Mm. And when I can see excellence in the sound, in the other aspects of sound that you're doing, um, it's, it's rewarding. It's rewarding. So, um, yeah, I love doing sound. It, it, was, it was an easy transition from doing a praise band to sound because you knew what you wanted to hear when you were up on stage, and now you knew what you wanted to put out in front of people so that they could hear 
good worship. So I want to get back to that point about excellence in worship. Because what I, I was talking with talking to this with Leah. She's our worship leader at our church. She's a worship director at our church. And um, she really believes in excellence. She pours her heart and soul into it. But how do you do that in a way that still keeps that culture of grace that you want to have in a church? Because we're not all professionals. We're volunteering. Yeah. Um, you know, people are giving, people are giving their, their time, energy, resources to the church. But when we think about excellence, sometimes I think that there could be unbalanced pursuit of excellence where it becomes a performance and it becomes a show. That's hard to see from the outside, but I'm, but I've been a part of our, of things where it was pursue excellence at the expense of people at the expense of the heart. So for you, how do you pursue excellence and, and, and still be gracious because I think that at Harbor we were punching above our weight. We would make that thing wouldn't even look like a cafeteria when we were done with it. Um, but yeah, how do you how did you do that as a sound? Well, person? I think it all comes back to keeping in mind who you're singing for. Mm. We're singing to and for the Lord, not for people. And so. The question that I would ask myself is, um, is this a compliment to the Lord? And not worry about what people are saying and what they're doing. Um, you're going to make mistakes, and things are not always going to turn out the way you want. And people other than yourself are going to screw up. How do you address the people who are coming alongside you and help. Even the people who are working for you are believers. They're going to screw up, and you want to be an encouragement to them that in everything that we do, we need to keep in mind that we're doing it for Jesus. How would Jesus support the people he's working with? Um, and so I think for me, worship has been about doing it the way God wants you to do it, which is not always the same as the way we want to do it. <laughs> and so in the end, I measure good worship are people responding to God? Not are they responding to me or responding to what I'm trying to do or responding even to the band or what they're trying to do. My, my evaluation comes back to how are they responding to the Lord? If they're responding to the Lord and they're hearing his voice, then I believe we're doing worship properly. Because to me, worship is a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. It's not a one-way conversation. It's like prayer. Prayer is listening to what God wants as well as sharing to him where our heart is. But he knows our heart before we even share anything. So the critical part of prayer, the critical part of worship, is listening to the Lord and hearing what the Lord is trying to do in our lives. That's good. That was that was good. That was better. That was better than 
That was better than what I had. Uh, that was really good. <laughs> <laughs> that's the wisdom. That's wisdom right there. Well, that's that's our trek through life that, in a sense, our lives are to be an act of worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's Monday or Tuesday or whatever day of the week it is, that um, God is our Lord and Savior. He is the Almighty. We need to be able to every day, every moment, come before him to thank him for all that he's done for us and to commit our lives to being good listeners to what God wants and what he wants us to do in our lives. What is, um, I was thinking about, even at our, our church, again, that's just where my mind is, just always thinking about our church, our young church. Uh, we're coming up on a year, by the way. <laughs> but what is it? What would you, how would you encourage somebody? Because people are busy. People got a lot going on. And Mm. I know you had a lot going on. Sure. And you're just there for years serving on a regular basis. Um, I didn't see you take a break until a while in. (laughs) But not not that that everybody needs to be that way. But how did you maintain serving in ministry for so long, giving your life to not only... Um, ministry in your job, but um, spending time reaching out to students because I know that that takes energy. At the same time, because I've seen I've seen people either go really really hard in parachurch type ministry, or go go really really hard in ch- church ministry, local church ministry. But it's rare to see them both happen while mm-hmm. maintaining a life that's also. Um, service to God. <laughs> so how would you encourage people that are struggling to to do that well? Or or they're just, they're feeling like they feel like they can't do both. They can't um, serve in the local church and outside, you know? Well, you're breaking it down. I didn't, never broke it down. Mm. Um, life is before the Lord, whatever you're doing. Coram Dale. That's right. Coram Dale. I, I learned that from R.C. R.C. Ligonier <laughs> Ministries. Well, yeah, from... I was very fortunate when I went through training to have a chance to sit down and uh, listen to R.C. personally because he was my teacher. And, uh, and that was one of the things that was so important to him, Coram Dale. We live our lives before God. There are plenty of distractions there are plenty of ways in which we can get distracted with all the uh, the necessities and the problems and everything that's that's coming along. So um, it's a matter of mindset that coming back to the idea that that our lives, he own, God owns them, <laughs> and so whatever I do in my life is to please Him, not to do what I feel comfortable with, um, but to feel comfortable with what I'm hearing from him. So it all comes back to our relationship with God. Is it an intimate, personal relationship? How often do we talk to him? Um, how, How often do we hear what he's saying in our lives? And can we tune our minds to hear what he's trying to tell us. And if he, we are being obedient 
in the instructions that we're getting from him, we don't need to worry about any of that other stuff. We don't need to break down our lives into this part of my life, this part of my life, this part. My whole life is before him. And so the question that that I would always ask myself, and I, I at the end of every year I would sit down and have a long conversation with the Lord and um, just asking, basically asking him the question, Lord, is this what you want me to do with my life? Um, am I... Am I doing, am I being obedient to you? And I would spend hours going through those, what, simple questions just to examine every aspect of my life to see if it was a compliment to him. And if he wanted to change anything, I would give him the freedom to change anything he wanted. And it's a matter of changing your will to want to do what he wants you to do. And at the end of each year, if I was comfortable with where the Lord was leading me, I was fine with just continuing to do uh, what I was doing. And so that was a pattern I developed very early in life, uh, probably from my early 20s, that I would sit down at the end of every year and give him the option of changing whatever I was doing. And uh, and I f felt like I was fairly able to hear his voice pretty clearly and what I was doing. What was, uh, Same thing happened when I transitioned from young life to teaching was, Lord, is this what you want me to do? Are you sure this is what you want me to do? If you want me to do it, I'm, I'm in all the way. Um, because I had made that decision early in my life that I was going to follow the path that I felt he laid out for me. And I had made that decision when I was 22 years old. And so I was trying to be consistent with that decision and giving him the option of changing my pathway anytime he wanted. Mm. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's what led me to the Philippines. That's what led me to teaching. That's what, uh, uh, that's what, led me to come to Hawaii. I mean, that's every major decision I made in my life was a base of what, based on what I was hearing the Lord telling me to do. So what if someone's struggling to hear from the Lord? And like I, I'm looking at just as I'm hearing you, I'm even convicted and encouraged to try to, to hear God's voice more in my life because well, I'm so committed to study, yeah, which is great. And I think that that's, that's primary, the word of God. But um, we don't have a relationship with a book. We have a relationship with the living God, right? And yeah. his word, his word is his revealed, is what he's revealed. And that's how he communicates primarily. But for you, well, how would you encourage someone? It's a, it's a hard issue. Do I want, as I confess with my mouth, to do what God wants me to do? If you want to do what God wants you to do, he'll communicate it to you somehow, some way. But you have to be committed heart-wise to actually hearing what he wants you to do and be willing to take the risk and change. Um, are you doing what he wants you to do? Then you're fine. If you're not, 
You're not. <laughs> as simple as that. That's what I mean. It comes down to a hard issue that I would ask myself, is my heart tuned to what he wants? Is it tuned to what I want or what he wants? It's a self thing, and it's a matter of where where is your heart. Um, God can take care of all the details. Um, and when he first brought me to Hawaii, it wasn't easy. You know, there were a lot of adjustments that I need to make. So it comes down to, am I committed, even when things are tough, to doing what he wants me to do? Um, same way with teaching. It's tough. Am I committed to what he wants me to do? So those, those are the kinds of questions every year I would ask myself at the end of the year as I was evaluating how I spent my time that year. I would ask that question. God, change my heart to tune it to what you want me to do. Help me now even to do an honest evaluation of how I'm spending my time. I like that. Those are not easy questions to no, ask. No, the reason I like that is because we are very much, it's, you're not assuming that everything that you're doing you're doing it. You're doing exactly what God wants you to do. There's no, you're not presuming on that. No. No. You're checking with the Lord. Yeah. It's it's a it's a checkup. It's a checkup because at the end of each year, as I was doing that evaluation, the first thing that I would say is, Lord, I need to be willing to change. 180 degrees, if you want. Um, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to start out and something do something new that I've never done before? All of those take risks. And so to be able to ask that question honestly and check your heart, is my heart willing and wanting to do that? Um, those are hard questions. And that's why I would spend hours and hours. I would set aside a whole day, actually, for evaluation at the end of every year. And so... Um, not all of that day would be spent in prayer, but the questions were asked early in the day, and then they were on my mind all day long. <laughs> Am I doing, Lord, what you want me to do? Am I willing to change if you want me to, to change 180 degrees? Am I willing to do that? And so that whole day was spent f with that focus. And so I would come away, Lord, I feel confident with what I'm doing now. I feel confident that I'm hearing what you want me to do. And I feel confident that you're putting my heart in the right place. He's the one who changes our heart. If, if we have heart issues, we have to understand that he creates in us that new heart. It's not something that we do. And so that, day, for me at least, was allowing him to have the freedom to change my heart. That's so amazing. Yeah, that is, I think, something that I don't, I probably don't ask myself enough. You know, I probably don't ask myself enough and, but it's true. Like, 
That's true. No one of us is indispensable. Hmm. He can do what he's asking us to do without us. <laughs> so are you willing? And my pride tells me, are you sure? Because I am very important and crucial to all that God is doing in the world. No. <laughs> he, he doesn't need us to do what he wants. Amen. Our, the privilege comes for participating in his ministry. Mm. And so that's one of the things, again, I tried to do from the very first when I got involved in ministry, is realize it's a privilege to serve. Mm. He doesn't need me. It's a privilege. I am the recipient of his wonderful grace because of my participation and it goes way, way beyond whatever I did for him. Mm, mm, yeah. There's nothing, everything we're doing is in re response to what Christ has already done for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we're working from a surplus, from an overflow. Yeah, and that's why for me, even as I am nearer the end than the beginning, now I look back and say, God, what a privilege it was to serve you. You have blessed me in so many ways. I cannot even communicate. I can't even stop to thank him enough for all the graces that he has shown me. Uh, I, I would never be where I am now but for the grace of God. So we, we need to constantly thank him for his provision and even the privilege of allowing us to participate in his ministry. Yeah. I, uh, just as you're talking, like, that's the hard part for me. And uh, just seeing, you know, my whole adult life in ministry and my whole marriage, I've known you, actually. Um, my wife and I started coming the month, we got month after we got married to Harbor. And so I've known you this whole time I've been married. <laughs> And I've seen you faithfully serve. And I guess it's hard for me when you say, like, you're at the end of your life and the end of, like, you've served well. And, like, you've just been such a blessing to us yeah. and such an encouragement. And I don't even, I don't even know. I think, I think Leah might, might have communicated or, or tried to, like, how much an encouragement you've been to her in leading worship. Um, you've just said things to her and you've supported her ever since she was singing. You've been so kind to her. But yeah, I, I'm still struggling with the fact that you, what you're saying, how short life is. And uh, that's really why I wanted to even be here and talk to you. Just because I just can't imagine that right now. At the And we wouldn't be, I wouldn't be here without the legacy, the your legacy that you're of your service and your ministry and how you've poured into my life. And my hope is that I could one day face the reality of my finiteness the same way you are. Psalm 103, we are but grass in the field that will, be, will die and be gone tomorrow. And so... Um, it's it, what a privilege it is just to be involved. And as I, the Lord has helped me with this. It's not about me. It's about how I can encourage others in the Lord 
and to watch them grow is what a privilege it is. <laughs> it's a privilege. Yeah, that's amazing. What is a, what would you, how would you encourage our little church? If you got to speak to them and you got to share, because I was telling some of our people, you guys don't even know Keith. <laughs> and and uh, I was telling people I was about to come and talk to you and, and why we're starting. People always ask me, why'd you, guys, why'd you end up starting this, this thing? And I tell them exactly why, what I said at the beginning. But what would you say to our little church that's trying to make an impact in Waipahu on the west side um, or central Oahu, whatever you call it? Yeah. Well, how would you encourage us? Like, how would you encourage the church? What would you say to them? They got ministries that they're doing. They got a lot of young families, a lot of people, meaning when I say young families, we can have the tendency to think that what's going on in our families is really like that's it's overwhelming. It's our focus. But we're trying to be obedient to God build the kingdom. We're trying to share the gospel. We're trying to impact families and students. And we're also, I mean, we have this connection, both of us yeah, yeah, yeah. serving in the Philippines, right? <laughs> we're, we're, we're trying to minister there and see what the, see what the Lord would do through us and through the churches there. Yeah. How would you encourage us, uh, encourage the church? Well, size doesn't matter. First of all, um, as individuals, um, that's that's the important thing. Are we encouraging each other? Um, and the people that God brings into your life, are you an encouragement to them? Um, if you're being an encouragement to them, that will go way beyond who is ever there on Sunday. Because each one of us has our own circle of friends. Mm -hmm. And if I'm encouraging you, then I'm also encouraging your circle of friends. Because what I say to you, if that's an encouragement at all, will end up in their lives too. And so I think it is for us to remember that we're in a multiplication game. And so who is there on Sunday morning... It's just the beginning. Are we ministering to those who are there? Are we an encouragement to those who are there? If we're being an encouragement to them, we are also going to wind up encouraging their circle of friends. Mm -hmm. So it will go way beyond who is there. Yeah, that's awesome. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and to follow up on that, how do I get there? How do I get outside of looking at my own needs and the, the things I got going on to look at the needs of others? Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a hard issue between you and the Lord. Um, because selfishness is a human dilemma. And every one of us needs to get rid of it. <laughs> if that makes sense. Because, you know, I think it was an important, it's an important time. We really, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about how I can serve those around me. How can I be an encouragement? How can I build up those around me? And, and with the words that I say and with the actions that I do also, actions here are sometimes more important than our words. If, if a person has a need, am I willing to take my time and... Uh, Give it to them. 
in, in whatever way I can do to help them. And so hearing people's needs, responding with a, with a heart that, that longs to, um, to build them up and encourage them, I think is the is the the critical issue for me, and so that's why again, it comes back to the heart issue: Am I willing to give up what I desire? And um, and so that's the way in which God has changed my heart to get rid of that selfishness, that human dilemma, and so that I can be willing to do whatever you need. Um, whatever those around me who God has, there are no, um, how do I put it? There are no mistakes in the appointments every day that God makes for us. So there are people that we're going to encounter every day who God is bringing into our life for a reason. We need to see them as appointments that God has brought that person into my life that I might come alongside and encourage them and build them up. And uh, regardless of whether it's in the post office, regardless of whether it's at the grocery store, those are people that we're going to have influence and a witness to by living out our lives in Christ before them. Hmm. Wow. That's really good, too. You've been saying a lot of good things. I'm sorry. I appreciate it. No, I'm <laughs> grateful. Man, I'm thinking about it going, wow, that, yeah. Like, they're not burdens. Because Christ isn't burdened by me when I no, go to him. No, no, no. And, you know, it doesn't doesn't hurt us to be unselfish. No. Um, but it takes different kind of eyesight, in a sense, to see what the needs are around us and to listen and hear the needs around us and then to say, God, how can I, how can I help? How would you, like, when, as you're speaking about your life and, and everything you got going on, you talked about um, kind of nearing the end. We talked about that. How do you... How has God encouraged you or what insight has he given, has he given you into what it's like to endure through suffering, endure through trials and tribulations. Because there's a lot of times, like Jesus says, right, in John, in this world you will have tri tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Easy to say, hard to do. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure what you're asking, but uh, I would say that um, it comes back to James. Uh, with every, the first chapter of James, when he talks about every obstacle, every problem that you face, God has brought into your life for a reason, that he's teaching and that his grace is free. All we have to do is call on his grace and he will provide the grace to get through that particular problem um, that the Lord has brought into our life. So, I think it's seeing it's seeing life is not haphazard. God is in charge, whether it's a problem or a blessing. And so we need to um, seek his wisdom 
in every situation, um, whether it's good or bad, that we can work our way through that particular situation. So I, I think that has been my life process um, because there are a lot of a lot of problems that I've had to work through myself. And, um, and so you get discouraged in the midst of them. How do you deal with that discouragement? Um, uh, those sorrows, how do you deal with the sorrows that, that God brings into your life? If we can see them as not chaotic, that God has brought them into our life, for a purpose, that he is in control, regardless of what you're feeling at that particular point in time, he is still in charge. He has brought that into your life for a reason. That enables you to work uh, from a different kind of plan than if you just seeing, oh, God's not in charge. It, it means, Lord... I don't know what the solution is at this particular point in time. I'm going to trust that you do. And I'm going to ask you, like James 1 says, I'm going to ask you for wisdom in order to deal with that particular situation, which I don't know how to handle. And, um, and he will provide it. And he will provide it. And sometimes it takes days, sometimes it takes months Sometimes it even takes years for it to all work out. But then you can look back on and say, God, you were doing an incredible thing that I never saw before. Um, but it's, it's allowing him the freedom to do those things in our lives. And, you know, like, like Paul said, you know, like Paul is constantly telling us, he's satisfied He's satisfied with what God is doing in our lives, and so he is content uh, wherever he is, whether it's in prison or whether it's, uh, whether it's in ministry, wherever he is, he's content where God has placed him. And so having that kind of heart and learning that kind of way to problem solve has been, that's been a challenge, but at the same time, it's been a privilege to do that. The, the last question I had um, that, I, that I just wanted to get an answer on, actually, was what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Hmm. Well, the, um, the foundation that I've built up has been the thing that I wanted to establish as a legacy the foundation is committed to expanding the kingdom, especially focusing on young people. And um, so God has, like I say, God has been incredibly gracious to me. Um, he has let me put together this foundation with money that can be used to support uh, different organizations, and so. What's the name of the foundation? That's the Huntington Hawaii Foundation, and the Huntington Hawaii Foundation, HuntingtonHawaii.org. Anybody can go there. Um, they can they can download a grant 
paper and submit grants and detail what the purpose, what they're trying to accomplish with their ministry. And Can they also donate there? Yeah, well? they can, but donations are not what we need. Mm. Uh, we're looking for projects to support. Um, we have... We have three million dollars that is available to the foundation, even as I speak. Um, the money that God has graciously provided. So our needs is not money. Our needs is to hear, and what we've tried to outline on the web page is that um, the projects we're looking not to support uh, operation expenses. We're looking for people to be creative, come up with new projects that are focused primarily on communicating the gospel and primarily with young people. And they submit the grant, and then we support. We will provide, the foundation will provide the funding to help them to accomplish that particular project. And so... The foundation was established, what, seven or eight years ago. And so we've been giving away money every year to build up organizations which are projecting um, projecting ministries. Um, and like I, But the idea, like I say, is not to fund their operating expenses, but to challenge them to think creatively through projects that they can develop, which are creative and focused on communicating the gospel and expanding the kingdom. And we want to come alongside them and to help support them and fund them so that they can do that. So um, the foundation is built around uh, what my life ministry has been. Um, I since I was 22 years old, I've been involved with high school students. I've been involved with communicating the gospel and sharing the kingdom with them. And so the legacy for me as a Christian is to expand the kingdom, to see lives change as a result, <coughs> excuse me, of what what Christ is doing in their lives and to build the kingdom that way. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. And that's what you have been doing. Yeah. That I began praying when I retired as a teacher. I've been repaying. I was 19, 2013. When I retired as a teacher, my prayer was, God, what do you want me to do now? Um, what do you want me to do now? And it kept coming up the foundation was what he wanted me to do. And so I sat down with my lawyer and wrote out my will. And my will was about the foundation. That is the, the main thing with the foundation, that whatever I've been able, God has been able to give me in my life, I want to, when I'm gone, be able to pour into the foundation that will enable the kingdom to expand and a focus on young people, and uh, and so that has been that has been my quote last life type project <laughs> that I've been working on, and I, I will tell you right now that with, since we started, you know, there's 
20 or 30 organizations that he has enabled us to become a part of and to support them in their work, everything from Young Life, YFC, all of those different organizations has enabled us to come alongside and encourage them to build new projects, encourage them to reach out in new ways to high school students, to other students, to families. Um, that is That has been our encouragement to come alongside them. And I believe that, and you would have to ask the organizations which you supported whether we have been an encouragement to oh, them. Oh, yes, you have. <laughs> yes, you have. And Harbor Waipahu has been one of those. Yeah, we've been um, we've uh, we've been able to get on campus. We've been able to minister to students. Uh, we've been able to. Uh, we're looking at we we got another space kind of in the shopping center we're in, and we're opening it up to um, hopefully allow kids a place to just study. Yeah, a place to study to get food to um, get their work done, so serve their needs practically. And our hope is give us opportunity to serve their needs spiritually. Yeah. Well. So that's the idea. That's the idea of what we're trying to do. And I've wanted it to go apart beyond my own lifetime because we all have only a short time that we're here and the time goes by so quickly. Um, and so I, that was the question I was asking God, what kind of legacy when I retired, what kind of legacy can I leave for you, Lord? And and the foundation was the thing that he kept he kept bugging me with, and at first I didn't understand that or wasn't able to see that. But um, as I got together with my lawyer, was able to work things out. By the way, my lawyer uh, was someone who I knew in high school wow. <laughs> as a believer, and so she's helped me to to think that through and how I can I can extend the kingdom beyond my lifetime. That makes so much sense that you guys were able to do that. She probably understood oh, what yeah. your ministry was like and that allowed you to kind of narrow down what you wanted the foundation. Well, on. She, she could see my heart yeah. and she knew what I wanted to do. And so she's helping me do that. Yeah. Man, this was so good. I'm so thankful. And I'm, my hope and prayer is we do it again. <laughs> okay, sure. Anytime. Yeah. Man, that was a blessing. Thank you, Keith. I love you, brother. Okay, and love you too. I'm grateful for you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me over. No problem.